Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. So good to be with you. Today's topic is prudence, the lost virtue of great leadership. Prudence, the lost virtue of great leadership. Now, this theme uh, and text out of Luke chapter 16 has been life transforming for me uh, over the years, and I'm just very excited to share it with you today. Jesus says in this parable uh, of Luke 16, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the children of light. And uh, he's referring to uh, people of the world who are not Christian, Jesus says, are actually more shrewd than Christians. And he's given the example of how, to, how, we're, how they're dealing with money in particular, but it's got broader application than that. So in this message, I do talk about money, stewardship, and also about prudence or being shrewd. Now, the word prudence is a large word in Scripture, especially in the book of Proverbs, uh, which contrasts those who are simple with those who are prudent or wise. Simple people are folks who are, in Proverbs at least, who are naive or easily influenced, untrained, refuse to think or ask hard questions, don't want to do that kind of hard work, over and against prudent people who are farsighted, who are looking way down the road, who are who are careful and thinking through the future and good judgment, uh, take everything into account. And so, uh, again, today in this message, I want to invite you to listen to it around uh, prudence in particular as it applies to leadership. So it's such a critical virtue and character quality. But at the same time, you're going to get some help of uh, the process, my uh, kind of a window into my own process of teaching stewardship in a local church uh, as well. So this sermon really is about growing up, uh, growing up uh, mature followers of Jesus who are uh, spiritual and emotional adults. Uh, And again, in areas that we don't talk about that often, which is prudence and money in particular. And so, but let me invite you, if you've never taken the emotionally healthy discipleship personal assessment, that you would take that. It's probably our most popular resource around the world over the years. Tens of thousands have taken it, actually multiple times before and after. And it gives you an opportunity to see where am I on the scale? Am I an emotional infant, uh, child, adolescent, or adult? And it measures it over and against... um, seven major categories, uh, spiritual categories. And uh, so let me invite you to go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash mature, and you can take it right there online. takes about 15 minutes, a very helpful assessment. And if you're new on this journey, please take it. Now, if you've been in it for a while and you've done some work, you may want to take it again just to find out where are you now. So again, go check it out at emotionallyhealthy.org slash mature. But for now, let me invite you to listen in on this message we're calling Prudence the lost virtue of great leadership. Enjoy. So let's read. Uh, this is a, a great parable. And uh, it's called the parable of the shrewd manager. I'm, I'm going to use the word prudent. Uh, I think it's a better word for us to capture. And actually, this whole sermon, if you leave it with one word in your head, it's, I want you to leave today with the word prudent or prudence. And just that's going to ring in you during the week, and it's going to, as it relates to work, as it relates to your life, as it relates to your calling. All right. So we're on the series on your life, your calling, and your work. And so this is going to be another angle, another another deposit into into viewing your whole life, but especially your workplace, which we've had a little bit of focus on that uh, here in this series. So let's begin reading. Uh, I'm going to actually pick it up in verse eight, and I'll explain that he tells this parable. But I want to focus on these verses in particular. I will explain the parable in verses 1 to 7. 
Uh, but read, after Jesus tells this parable, it says this, verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. But the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Let's pray. And so, Lord, uh, as Jesus, you explained this brilliant parable. I pray that uh, there's so much here that you would impart to us that which you have for us this day by the Holy Spirit for each of our lives, as this message will come and hit us differently, that we may live out our life and our calling in our workplaces, in our homes, in all of our lives for the glory of your name. And we ask you to do this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so this series has really been about, uh, about resisting the great temptation in life, which is to have a, a segmented spirituality or compartmentalized spirituality. Where you're here on Sundays, or you're, you go to a small group, and you pray once a day, or whatever you do a couple times a day, and you got God on Sunday, and you get work on Monday. And uh, most people basically see their work as a place to recover. I'm sorry, most people see their spirituality uh, and church life or spiritual life as a way to recover from how deadening their work is, which sucks the life out of you. And, uh, and that, of course, is due to the whole Genesis 3 curse, which is, uh, you know, work will be hard. And yet the large majority of people, we're living out our spirituality in, our, in the workplace. I mean, 90% of us here in this room. And, uh, and so this divorce of spirituality or church and the workplace and the marketplace really can make you schizophrenic, kind of like all over the place. You're like two different people. And so because of Jesus and what he's done on the cross and the resurrection and his ascension, he's alive, work is no longer an, 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 an idol for us. So some of us love our jobs so much it becomes idolatry. It's our whole life. Well, Jesus delivers us from that. But Jesus also delivers us from, from work is just a curse, something I've got to get away from. i just got to do it, and I want to be done with it. Because Christ now restores work to its proper place as it was originally intended from God. And that is work actually now is through Christ is meant to be a means of loving God. It's a means of communing with God. It's a means of you actually growing up spiritually. Not like you perhaps thought. And, and so it's a place where we create and shape the workplace. But as we said last week in Nehemiah, the workplace also shapes us. And God creates in us. So, so Jesus says in this parable a very interesting thing. He says... Uh, uh, in verse 8, he says, because he commends this dishonest manager for he acts shrewdly, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. And he makes an interesting, no, he says, he says basically, he's speaking to Christians. He says, you can learn from non-Christians. As this, whole, as this parable is about. This guy's dishonest. You can learn something from this guy. Because they, they, they work in the world, they, they do something better than you do as a child of the light. So I want to, I want to begin with a story. It's a great point. Um, it's a story of Andrew Carnegie. And Andrew Carnegie, uh, as many of you know, he was, he was an immigrant from Scotland in the late 1800s. His whole family came here. They moved to Pittsburgh. And he was a very poor family, and he had to quit school after four years of schooling. And so at age 12, he went to work. And so he had a very limited education, but uh, he became the richest man in the world of that time. And actually, by age 33, uh, he was making $50,000 a year, which in you know, 
early 1900s was a fortune. Uh, he, but he never saw business as his calling. Uh, he actually dreamed of serving humanity, and he loved education, which he never really had an opportunity to, to get formally. And so he vowed at a very young age, at 33, that he would give, uh, give all his money away before he died. He'd give it away to the poor and help humanity. So when he sold his company in 1901, U.S. Steel, he sold it for, for $480 million. That was in 1901. That's the equivalent in 2007 dollars of $120 billion. And actually, they say he was worth $298 billion okay, at that time. So he retired. Now, he'd been giving money away his whole life. But he spent the last 18 years of his life giving away his entire fortune. Now, it's something he had promised to do at a young age. Now, again, he, 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 was, he was one of the rare wealthy people who committed to give all his wealth away, even before he had it all at a very young age. And uh, he gave away 90%, but then he died. He couldn't finish the last 10%. Uh, I know, tough problem. And so uh, he put his, and he was very much known for even putting his money back in the business versus taking it out for himself. He invested back in the company. He kept investing in the future. He was considered a very prudent man. Now, he invented, Andrew Carnegie, whole new ways of, of doing business, if you study it, whole new ways of making steel, uh, later iron, uh, um, iron and later steel. Uh, he, had, he developed whole new ways of organizing business and that, that had been done before. And he made bridges possible like the George Washington and the Verrazano because of the kind of steel he, he created. Uh, he made skyscrapers possible. He actually made steel for ocean vessels, uh, better railroad tracks that changed the whole industry, uh, new technologies, new industries. He bettered the life of millions of people, and he had enormous creativity. He created the jobs for tens of thousands of people, new technology. Uh, it was really quite amazing. Now, of course, he was no saint. He was not a Christian, and he did some nasty things too, and I'll leave those out. All right? <laughs> Uh, but uh, he, he, uh, he, he was, they say he was tone deaf when it came to God. In other words, when it came to God, he just shut down, even as a young child. And uh, nonetheless, he gave away uh, 7,689 pipe organs to churches around the world. He had a thing for music and churches. But his big contribution, he gave to universities, he gave to uh, schools, arts, college teachers, researching Booker T. Washington, Tuskegee Institute, you name it, all kinds of institutions around the world. But his big thing was libraries. Every time he walked in a library, remember, that's because of Andrew Carnegie, uh, he created 2,811 libraries in his lifetime in the United States and overseas. And every time I walk into a library, I, I would say to myself, and I read his whole biography at one point, I said, I said thank you, Andrew Carnegie. Because I love libraries. I love public libraries. I think they're just an amazing institution. Because he wanted to make learning accessible to the working class and immigrants that were coming into the United States, and then he extended around the world. He did work with peace efforts, etc. But just try to imagine life without public libraries. Just imagine the city of New York alone. So Andrew Carnegie had something which we're going to call prudence. He had foresight uh, beyond his life. He saw, the values of, he saw the value of investing in a university for education and giving large chunks of money. And he saw the value of the arts, big patron of the arts. We have Carnegie Hall, obviously. Uh, he saw the, the wisdom of libraries, but he looked ahead. He was what this passage talks about in verse 8 as shrewd. And I love when Jesus says here, he said, you know, Jesus says, you know, uh, you know, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the children of light. So he's trying to say, he's speaking to the church, and he goes, there's things you can learn from people who don't even know me, and they're more shrewd than you are. we are. And so it's great, it's great, great principle. And uh, so this, this, let me tell you the story of this parable. I'm going to actually begin in verse 1. Some of you know it, and I encourage you to read it in detail as you go, on, as you, uh, go home. It's, it's a little, it has some complexity to it uh, because 
in this story, this rich man uh, has a person who's managing his wealth, okay, in verse 1. And the manager, however, has, waste, has not been a good manager. And uh, the manager has got a lot of power. It's a very rich company, whatever it is. And, uh, and, and so he has this, this manager, on behalf of this rich man, is supposed to make contracts and execute them, etc. But he's done a poor job. And so the boss brings charges against his manager that you've wasted my resources. And you've been a bad manager, you've done a bad job, you're going to lose your job. You're out of here. And so the owner says, give me an account. Uh, you can no longer manage my affairs. Finish up the workplace, and then you're fired. And so this manager now is facing unemployment. He's, he's, uh, he's wondering, he's afraid, of course, about his future. I can imagine he's got a wife, he's got kids, he's got a mortgage. Uh, he's got a lifestyle he's used to that is about to all go down the tubes. His, his present life is about to come to a drastic end. And so this, what's called now this, this manager in this parable, has got to act. And he's got to make some decisions. So what he does is, uh, he's got to make some friends. He says, I've got to make some friends, and I've got to make them quickly. Some influential friends. So he goes to two accounts. and He's got an urgency of time in his hands. So the first guy, he goes, and he, he goes to these two guys who owe his master money. and Because uh, he has authority to make these contracts. So he's a, the key word here is quickly, quickly. The first, bill, the first guy owes him 800 gallons of oil, which would be the equivalent of $120,000 right, in today's salary. He says, listen, I'll give you, you owe my master $120,000, let's make it 60000 $60, and we'll call it quits, you're free. The, the guy who owes the money is like, sounds good to me, we got a deal. And, uh, hey, if you ever need anything, let me know. And the manager says, I will. I will, I'll let you know. And he calls the second guy in who owes money. And uh, he owes even more. He owes uh, what's called a thousand bushels of wheat here in the, in the parable, but it'll be the equivalent to $300,000. It's a lot of money. So he says, listen, here's what I'll do. I'll shave 25% off the bill and send it right now, and it's all clean. And the guy's like, whoa, great deal. Hey, pays it. If you ever need anything, let me know. The manager says, I will. Absolutely. I'll let you know. And he's done, and he loses his job. And now we think, what a bad, dishonest guy. He has ripped off his boss of a lot of money. He has not been honest. He has not had integrity. But here's the surprise, like in many parables. Jesus says in verse 8, Verse 8, look, he says, um, uh, he says, he commends the dishonest manager. He praises him. He goes, what are you praising that bum? He stole money. But Jesus is making a different point here. Where he says, because he acted shrewdly. Twice you're going to see the verb shrewdly, or the word shrewdly, or the word prudently. Jesus praises him, and then he pulls out, and he gives a teaching about life. And in particular, he gets into money towards the end. But uh, people, Jesus, Jesus is saying this. He goes, listen, Jesus says, people of this world who aren't even Christians, they understand. Some of them are prudent. They understand long-range thinking. They understand they got a little bit of time and a little bit of opportunity, and they leverage their time. They think. They don't panic. They think about life, and they're prudent. And, uh, and so what they do in verse 9 is they use worldly wealth to gain friends for themselves in the world. And he says, but you, I tell you, you use it so that when your wealth is gone, basically when you die, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. That basically, these guys are going to welcome him after he gets fired from his job. He's in the same way, you manage your life, you manage your calling, you manage your work, you manage your money in such a way that when you die, there's going to be people in heaven waiting for you and say, 
welcome my friend. Because if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here. You made my life different because of the way you lived yours. The way you spent your time, the way you spent your energy, the way you worked your job, the way you invested your money. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. And so when you get to heaven, there's always people saying, you're here. And they give you a big warm hug. You like that, huh? It's wonderful. And so Jesus says, use your, your life in such a way that when you're gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwell, dwellings. So, so figure out how to use your life. Jesus is saying, be prudent. Think about it. You're, think about your life. What are you doing so that when you die, John will approach you and say, hey, I'm here because of you. You created and shaped your presence at work, etc. You go, you gave to the poor. You gave to missions. I'm here to say thank you, you know, and whether it's Christians in Uganda or Haiti or Philippines or whatever, you fed people here, you serve people in children's church, you were my teacher, you know, you, you did Boy Scouts for me. And Christ is saying, use your money, use your spiritual gifts, use your talents, use your life to win friends. Win friends who will welcome you into heaven, not simply earth. And uh, you leverage it and you manage it so your Father God can move people into his kingdom. It's a great parable. In other words, he's saying, your life is so significant. You've got that much power. That much leverage. So here's, here's this great insight. It's great insight in this parable. Oh, it's, it's incredible insight. How, and I want you to get it as it relates to your life and your calling and your work. And it has to do around this word prudence. Prudence. And uh, honestly, for me, this truth has uh, it's been something I've wrestled with for many, many years. And in the last couple of years in particular, I feel like I've got it in particular how it relates to workplace and, uh, and money. In my, in my role as a leader of, of our community here, New Life Fellowship Church. And uh, so uh, here, here's, here, let's talk about the word prudence for a second, okay? Now, now the word prudent, now you want to underline that in verse 8 or 9, the word shrewdly. He acted shrewdly. That's the word they're using. I, I didn't want to use the word shrewd because I, I don't know about you, but shrewd in our present English language sounds kind of nasty to me. It sounds kind of like, you know, dirty. Prudent's a little cleaner word, although we don't use it very often. But this manager acted shrewdly or prudently. And the people of this world, people of this world are, are shrewd. So underline that two words. So now, Proverbs is the, is the big book about prudence, book of Proverbs. And in Proverbs, there's two classes of people. There's the simple people. They're called simple. And then there's the prudent people. Now, simple people are those who refuse to think. They're the ones who don't want to do the hard work of thinking things through, and they don't want to ask hard questions. So it's the, kind of, it's, it's the person who's, who's attracted to this prostitute on the side of the road and just gets this urge and impulse, I'm going. Doesn't think about their families, doesn't think about all long-term you know, repercussions, just boom, just runs into it. It's a kind of example, and there's lots of examples in, in Proverbs all over the place. They're called simple. We call them stupid, okay? Stupid. They're stupid because they're not thinking. They're not shrewd. They're just led by their feelings or their impulses. And uh, they're pliable. They're easily influenced. They're, they're untrained. They are, they are a salesperson's dream. They're like me when I go to a supermarket and I see the word sale. I just buy it. <laughs> and my wife freaks out. She says, why did you believe it? I said, sale. I bought it. I said, yeah, but for them it's a sale. But you could have bought it for half the price at the other supermarket. Well, it didn't say that, you know. <laughs> Black and prudence, right? I believe. Simple. And uh, so very naive. Naive is, uh, you know, just naive. And many folks live their whole lives like that, as you know. Very easy. And then there's prudent or shrewd. And, and that's, the par- that's, the, that's this dishonest manager in this parable. He's shrewd. He has foresight. He's thinking ahead. It, it, it's hard work to think ahead. And he's taking into account all the factors. And he's very level-headed. He's balanced. 
Um, he has good judgment, he's sensible, uh, and he's careful in, in, in providing for his future. And so really, it's, it's, it's giving thought to your ways versus just being led by impulse. And so it's thinking long-term, it's making plans. Now, now just to give you a couple of verses in Proverbs, like here, here's, you know, here, I could give many verses, but here Proverbs 14, 8, the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. That's what wise people do. You know, a simple man believes anything. They tell you something, that you, I believe it. The Dow Jones is going to be $36,000 in six months. Here, take my money, right? I believe. The guy's a persuasive speaker, you know, mesmerizing. He has all these arguments. You just believe it. You give him your money. And, uh, but a prudent man gives thought to his steps. He does not just believe everything. Actually, he's thoughtful. You know, a plans of a diligent lead to profit. People are diligent. It's hard to be diligent. The word diligent, same, same word is the same word Jesus uses here, shrewd, prudent. It leads to profit. As surely as haste leads to poverty. I'm in a rush. I'm anxious. I want to get this thing done. And, um, you know, my, my, and so Luke 16, this guy is shrewd. This fellow is prudent. My, my best example of this and, uh, is Poland. One of my best examples. In Poland, in, in the 1700s, 1800s, it was famous for its cavalry, their horsemen. And they won all their wars uh, with their great cavalry. And they just held on to this notion. But, and so when Hitler sent his army uh, in the Blitzkrieg in 1939 into Poland, uh, the Poles, the Polish army, sent 12 cavalry divisions, men on horses, to fight the German tanks. I mean, they were crushed. But there was no foresight. There was no prudence. Because it had worked before, for hundreds of years. The horses, we got great horses in Poland. We got the best trained trainers. And, and they just didn't want to recognize that the changes that happened in the world. I mean, war had changed. And they were just, if you know anything about World War II, they were, they were, they were decimated. Decimated, little little death of thousands. And if you read it, just read Newsweek or Time Magazine or New York Times. Read it through the lens of prudence. And it's amazing. I mean, I just did an exercise for this. I mean, there was one article about last week. The CEOs of eight large banks appeared before Congress. Then you may have read the article. And as you know, the country's angry at these banks, right? Because they didn't manage things well, and we're bailing them out with 160. And these eight banks were receiving 165 billion dollars. And uh, and so they each they made an opening statement. To Congress. Now, understand that this whole country is mad at them, right? And, and so they, they, their opening statement, they didn't prepare. And their opening statement focused on the symbolic actions they were taking to save money. And their example was they're not using their private airplanes. They took Amtrak to get to Washington. And, you know, the people went crazy. You know, Congressman, you know, as one CEO mentioned, their lack of preparation for that meeting was breathtaking. That was a quote. Um, and uh, the guy said, next time you come to Washington begging for cash, take the $25 Chinatown bus. <laughs> that was a good one. That was really good. That was great. Anyway, it was interesting. You know, but just, it was just interesting, just a lack of prudence. They made the point, even though they're great in finance, it doesn't mean they understand people and communication and public relations. Just missed it totally. All eight of them. It's a fascinating article. And I was in Michigan, as you know, a couple of weeks ago, and I was with a couple of business people who were deeply involved in the auto industry there. And I, I was just asking, like, in my own, like, what do I, I'm here in New York, what do I know? I'm just watching this whole three big automakers, and I, I know a little bit. I'm just watching, and I'm saying, and I was asking, how, how, how did this happen? And I'm like, I'm trying to, I think these guys, anybody's going to defend it, they will. And one of the guys actually drives a big SUV and all that. You know, so, so, and he says, basically, he goes, the truth is, he says, the profits of the big cars was just too big to resist. You know, the HD Humvees, the SUVs, and, and he said, he said, 
they, they ignored global competition. They ignored the ine inevitable rising gas prices. They ignored the fact that capitalism has never had an economy that always, always goes up, always has ups and downs and recessions. And he goes, they just were thinking short-term profit. They were not prudent. He didn't were prudent. They did not think. They didn't, want, they didn't want to fight with the unions. They didn't want battles. They just it was short-term gain. Everything was gravy. Nobody wanted to think about the inevitable. And it was tremendous. And in his opinion, this guy, he said, I, he goes, I don't care how much money you throw at him. It's the leadership issue of not being wise. It's going to crash unless there's a drastic change there. But the issue comes down to prudence. Because to me, it's mystifying how you could not have known this 20 years ago. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, in auto, I'm not in manufacturing, but it seems obvious that if the... Anyway... Okay, moving right along. So prudence is this. Prudence is this. Prudence says this in Luke 16. This guy is obviously in panic mode. He's just lost his job. Some of you know what that's like to lose your job. But feelings aside, prudence says, what's best in the long run? He doesn't, there's no exaggeration. There's no lying. There's no blaming. There's no spinning. There's no defensiveness. There's no avoiding. This guy manages it. He thinks it through. See, prudence is, if I do this, thinks about it, this will happen. If I don't do this, this may very well happen. And it's, prudence is the ability to make choices and not be a victim. Like this dishonest manager said, my boss is me. He doesn't give anybody a second chance. And could have went home and told his wife, what a bum he is, I'm going to blow up his car. Right? And just got into a depression. But he doesn't. He's prudent. He thinks it through. And he doesn't take the easy way out. He does the, takes the best way out. Easy and best are very different. And he does what's uncomfortable, which is the hard thing of sorting this thing out. And he makes plans. He's diligent. Basically, the past, you've made mistakes. The past is over. But now, the future hasn't happened yet. And it has potential to actually be wonderful. And so I'm going to be prudent and shrewd like people in the world, and I'm going to think. I'm going to weigh the options. I'm going to make a long-term plan. I'm not just going to go rash and shh out of anxiety and fear. And so to attain greatness in the kingdom of God, to really grow into maturity, uh, that's why this is so important to your life and your calling uh, and your work, is you're going to really grow up. You do have to do things you don't want to do. You do have to go against the grain of your feelings. There is a time and a place to do it. It's basically called growing up. Now, I don't know about you, but I fought growing up every inch of the way as a kid. I hated it. I loved kindergarten. I, I, lo I loved nap time. I thought that was the best deal. And I remember rebelling against first grade. No, nap time. So, I mean, it's deep in our fiber to say, I just want to be simple. Whatever you say. I don't want to take, I don't want to be prudent. I don't want to grow up. But you cannot be great in the kingdom of God without growing up. So let me just, there's many areas this is going to apply to, but I'm just going to mention a few, because Jesus is going to go after finances as a foundational issue of prudence. But let me mention a few areas. Like, let's talk about speech for a second, all right? You know, speech. Are, are you prudent with your speech? Now, in my family, Italian-American family I grew up in, we are famous for making, saying things that aren't true. You know, we say things are either super positive or things are super negative. We're not really good at the in-between. So now my uncle makes a great, I remember this as a kid, my uncle makes a great cheesecake. And he says he's going to, in six months, he's going to sell the company for a billion dollars to craft foods. Well, yeah, you know, he's a terrible manager of his four employees that he has. I mean, you're saying to yourself, 
you know, but it's just the way we talk, you know, and, and uh, you know, something goes wrong, it's a disaster, we're going to be in the shelter in six months, you know. And so, you know, of course, some of you know it's like the speech. We're just imprudent. We just say things. You know, some, then we bring it to our Christianity. God told me! Well, you had a hint that maybe this is true. You know, and, and you start, you know, prophetically speaking. No, but, but as, as Proverbs says about prudence, do you see a man who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And so a prudent person actually knows, I want to say this so badly, but I'm going to shut my mouth. I really don't know what I'm saying. Like, I almost got in it. With the, with the automakers just now. Okay, now, let's take relationships. Same thing, right? Prudence. You know, you're angry at somebody. Everything in you is, blast them. Just blast them. Because you can't control yourself. That's a fool. Okay, no, it's best. If you're that angry, do not say anything. Think it through. Get alone. Okay? Before you speak. That's prudence. Okay, or, you know, it's like you're, you, you hear one, someone comes to me, Nikki comes to me and says, you know, Abby, this, 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 this. And I hear her side, and I'm like, yeah, Abby's an idiot. And I take her side, I make a judgment. Proverbs says you're a fool. You're a fool because you've got to hear all the sides. There's a lot of complexity to, to conflicts. And Proverbs says the first to present his case seems right until another comes forward and questions him. Proverbs 18.7, that's a prudent person, not a fool. Let's take, you know, if you're, if you're, I talk to married people often, the marriage is stuck. Every marriage gets stuck. And I'm not saying every marriage can make it, uh, but some people are stuck. I, we're getting divorced. I'm quitting on the marriage. It's not going to work. And, and I often say, I, say, I don't get it. I, I don't get it. You, you spent four years in college. You've got an advanced degree. You've, how much money you've spent in your career? How much time and energy have you invested to learn how to be a married spouse? Nothing. All right. Well, maybe, maybe you need to learn. Maybe there's a prudence is... You just don't leave this marriage and jump into another one. You have to leave that one too. And then a third one, a fourth one, because the real issue is this is a training, learning thing. This isn't going to happen naturally. The fool thinks it's going to be easy, and it's just going to happen. And same thing with you as you're single folk. You, know, you fall in love. Ah, oh, he's wonderful, or she's wonderful. I'm getting married. You know? And you just all the rational information you have thrown, you have flushed it down the toilet. You just, and every person tries to talk to you about this. You're going to get married. You, know, you love this guy. But all the data is like a lot of questions. You're like, they, they are, they're like the Antichrist. They're like, get away from me. And you run away from the people who are trying to ask you questions about it. But as you know, a fool just runs on their feelings. Not that falling in love is a bad thing. But a prudent person actually steps back and does a course. Like, what do we teach that course here? How to, how to not marry a jerk or a jerkette. You know, the, the course. We teach that. It's important to how to get, get, get rooted. I, I didn't go on, right? I mean, I, how about decision making? How many of you have got to make a decision? And like you're waiting, you're trying to get all the data, and you're so, you're, you're so frustrated waiting for the decision, you say, mm, all right, I quit. You know, and you make, because you're so fool, you don't, want, you don't want to wait anymore to get the data, or, or moving to another state quickly. Because, and the Bible says you're, you're a fool. Sometimes our anxiety, or our anxiety is so high that we're in a panic state, and our, our brain shuts down, and fine print, we don't even read it anymore. And we just start exercising poor judgment. But prudent people are aware, yes, I am flooded right now. I am about to make a terrible decision. I better not do anything. Because I am not in a good place right now. So I need to calm myself down. I need some time here. That's prudence. And the uh, same thing with workplaces. You know, I, you know, you get resentful, a dysfunctional atmosphere, you know. So you don't think through your work anymore. You just kind of, you're doing it. You're going day to day. You don't think through meetings. You don't think through your, your supervision of people. 
Uh, you don't think through what you want to create and shape. You're just like, I just want to get through this thing. It's a pain in the neck. I'm exhausted. They're not paying me enough anyway. And so again, it's, it's a fool because you're not being prudent. You're not saying, what do I want to shape? What do I want to create here at this, at this workplace? And, and finally, just think of spiritual growth. I mean, most, sadly to say, most, especially in America, North America, you know, people just, our spirituality is our feelings. You know, I, I do what I feel like. I know the Bible says, I just don't feel like it. I just don't feel like going to church. I get up again early in the morning. Oh, my goodness. And so we also, we follow our feelings. We don't follow Christ. That's why God has to, at some point in your spiritual growth, has to remove your feelings. Until he removes your good feelings, you don't know if you're really following Jesus or your feelings. Very, very critical principle. But a prudent person knows, I must walk through times of no feelings. Because I'm following Christ. And so I obey God even when it doesn't feel good. You know, desert fathers in, in, in the early centuries, uh, they saw prudence. They called it discretion. It was, one, was the most critical qualities next to humility to have in, in spiritual maturity. And here's what Anthony, St. Anthony said. He goes, some people wear out their bodies by fasting, but because they have not discretion or prudence, this only puts them further from God. They're fasting and they're getting further from God because they're getting more proud and arrogant. But they don't have prudence they are missing the heart of what spirituality is about. They don't, they're fools. So we have this fantasy. Life is going to be easy. It's an illusion that we can grow up without having to be prudent and think long term and wrestle with these issues. And Jesus says, this, this, you can learn from the children of the world. You're a child of the light. And it goes, we, say, we think if it's, if it's right, it'll feel good. And uh, think of exercise. None of us would exercise. Think of dieting. Think of getting up to spend time alone with God. Uh, think of getting a, a degree. Think of learning an instrument. I mean, if that's how you're living your life, you're probably in very bad shape. And when you apply it through. So, so Jesus then, in, what he does in verses 10 to 14, I just kind of broadly just throw out the concepts. You get the concept there about, about you know, prudence versus uh, simples. But Jesus takes now time and he, he goes into the issue of money. Now, it's so interesting because... Of all, I mentioned relationships, speech, decision-making, workplace gifts. I mean, you can apply this to all over the place. But he actually goes after money. And the reason he does is because money is your business. Money is your life. Money is your, this is a heart of, this touches so many issues in you. And as you know, the Bible spends an enormous amount of time, Jesus talks about money. Because he knows it touches something core in our spirituality. And so he takes this issue of prudence and he's applying it to money. And here's what he says. He says this. He says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Now, that word very little is a great word in Greek. I mean, it means like little, 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 little bit. Um, and uh, the person who's been reliable in, in something really, really tiny will also be reliable in something greater. And uh, you see, so money and work, the large issue has to do with prudence and thinking things through. And, and because, you see, here's the hard truth, that economic life... That's why this series is, is important. Economic life makes us who we are. It forms us. It shapes us. We're shaping it, but it's shaping us, how we deal with it. And, and so Christ makes this incredible statement. He says, so you've not been trustworthy in handling money, worldly wealth, whether it's at your business money or your money. Who can trust you with true riches? If you can't be prudent with this, how are you going to be prudent with anything else? And, and he takes this, this issue of, of how you handle money and decision-making like me going to Wallbounds and buying everything on sale, if that's how you handle money, which doesn't belong to you in the first place, 
How are you going to handle real kingdom riches? Real, what, what, it's, an, it's an amazing principle here about spirituality and the foundation. Because you can't handle your economics, your money. Goes, goes the rest of it, you're going to have big trouble. Because it's a, very, it's a foundation. And uh, so Christ then goes in this little, little thing here. It's just interesting. He goes, the real treasure is kingdom stuff, is revelation and truth. But you can't grasp it unless you handle money well. And if you're sloppy with money, you're going to be sloppy in everything. It's amazing how he puts that in order. And so in our culture, money is the big thing, right? How much money do I have? And uh, in China, Jesus says, no, no. The larger issue is, are you prudent? That's the real issue is your character. Are you shrewd? And prudent people are thoughtful. They have foresight. They're thinking ahead. They're not impulsive. Now listen, God doesn't need your money. You got that? He doesn't need it. If God wants your money, he would just take your money. When the government wants our money, they take it. We're paying for tax season. And God's work, as Hudson Taylor said, will never lack God's supply. God always takes care of his work. And so and remember, you're never ever to feel pressure to give. The Bible says that in 2 Corinthians 9. And if you ever feel pressure to give, God says it doesn't count. Keep it. And uh, you should only give what you decided in your heart to give, out of prudence and wisdom. And so if you ever feel pressure to give by a TV evangelist or any kind of ministry or guilted into it, just don't do it. Or maybe you don't. don't that's, that's not it. You don't get credit for pressure giving. All right? No extra credit. And, and, and so, but, but this issue of, of money is critical. And, and how do you handle your money? Now, it's interesting how um, Rosie announces good sense cords and budgeting. Uh, some of us, we've never had a budget. We've never handled it. And, and that's why I, I do believe that this issue of a, a tithe is such a foundational, prudent thing. If you were not a Christian, I would tell you you should tithe. Tithe and give it away to something. That's good. In fact, if you read business books and corporate books, go, go to Barnes & Noble, they all talk about tithing. These people aren't even Christians. And how it helps people manage their money. Give your money away, which is 10% of everything you've got. And, uh, because it's a tangible way of acknowledging that everything you have is gift. None of it belongs to you. And, uh, but the truth is, for many of us, we show up at church or go to meetings. We, we don't plan to give. We pick up our wallet, whatever's in there, we throw it in. And, and uh, we're not, we're not thinking, we don't have a plan. We don't have a lifestyle adjusted to it. We kind of give conveniently. We kind of give emotionally. And, uh, and so we end up, you know, living off other people's generosity. We, I, I remember my pastor, Gordon McDonald, many years ago, I was a young student, talked about, I, I didn't have much money. And I was like, hey, listen, I'm giving my time, giving my energy. What does God want? Blood? And, uh, and he, was, he was preaching on this text. I was in my early 20s. And he says, look at it. If you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who's going to trust you with true riches? And he said, listen, some of you young people, a lot of us young people, there he goes, you're living off other people's generosity. And I'm thinking, you're darn right. I am. Those older people got money over there. thinking in the fourth row. They don't need my money. I don't have much to begin with. But I couldn't deny it, the fact of, you can't manage this well. How are you going to handle true spiritual riches? And he, he challenged us to really get our lives in order with our money, because it's not ours, it belongs to God. And to get this set and get this straight, to be prudent with our lives, beginning with our finances. It was a revolution for me, because my family never did that. Never. Generations of schizaros were chaotic with money. And uh, the idea of giving money to a church was the last thing I was, you know, I was really, I really had a bad, bad thing with me. So if you may be a student in college or in high school or junior high, or maybe you're, you, maybe you've graduated, you've got a job, now you've got a mortgage, it's hard. It takes work. It takes thinking ahead. Maybe your kids are in private school. Maybe you're a teenager making 60 bucks a week. Or maybe you're a single parent living on limited income. Or maybe you're living on Social Security. Maybe you're living on your unemployment check. Or maybe you're parenting and your kids... Don't even can't manage their allowance yet. This is a major parenting issue to teach them prudence. Because it's not just about their, their $12 a week allowance. It's about their life. It's about delayed gratification. It's about maturing into adulthood. It's about maturing into a great life. It's not about their 
$1.20 at Children's Church. Remember, it's not the amount. Jesus says it's not about the amount. It's because it's the little. If you can't be trusted with a little, you can't be trusted with much. This is so challenging. You come out of an impulsive background. Everything's just for you. You've been traumatized. Here's what Andrew Carnegie, this guy was, this, Andrew Carnegie, you know what he believed? His unique idea was give everything away before you die. Do not leave anything to your kids. I told my kids this. They weren't excited. <laughs> I told them. And here's the reason he believed it. He says, he, you should not leave anything to your family. Because he goes, my observation is that those who leave a lot of money for their kids do them damage. It breeds dependency, weakness, and uncreative lives rather than people who will perform great service for other people. And he wrote, I would as soon leave my son a curse as a dollar bill. Could you imagine? He left nothing. I told my kids, nothing! <laughs> Giving it all away to make friends in heaven. Absolutely. So in closing, you're not in your family of origin anymore. You're in Jesus' family. You come to Christ, you're a new creation. You're born again into a new family. So we don't do life like your family does, your culture does. Impulsively, simple, lacking prudence. Now we learn and we live differently. We have an eternal perspective. We really are concerned about making friends in heaven. And so imagine yourself breaking free into spiritual maturity, emotional maturity, into prudence. Could you imagine how different your life might be? Imagine you at your workplace and your relationships and the decisions you make tomorrow. You say, what do I want to create here? What are my goals and my steps to get to these goals? Let me set my feelings aside. What's best today in this meeting as I sit in class teaching this class or as I go to the office on Monday, as I manage this employee, as I meet with this client or meet my boss? To live out your calling is going to require prudence, thoughtfulness, not being impulsive. So I wanted to take a minute. I want to invite you to be quiet. Just to kind of, because you've got to kind of calm down and settle down like, Wow, because if I was a dishonest manager, I would be in complete panic mode. I think I would have thought about robbing a bank, losing that much salary he was going to lose. There is discomfort and death in growing up. Every stage of growing up is hard. It's uncomfortable. And your emotions or reactions, your impulsiveness does not have to run your life anymore. Once you embrace this teaching of prudence... You will never go back. Never. You'll catch yourself and you'll stop yourself. It will change your life. It'll change your workplace. It'll change your callings. Feelings will not run you. You will not be a victim. You will not be out of control. You will actually be free. Let's bow for a moment. Yeah, worship team, come forward. Jesus Christ came to set you free. And in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 